Well, thank you so much, Matthew, and um, everyone who has helped this morning in a whole variety of ways uh, to make the service possible. Sure, appreciate it. We are wrapping up our series on prayer and praying with the Apostle Paul. And actually, next month, for the first three Sundays in November, we're taking a slightly different approach uh, to our Sunday morning. We realize that there's a number of people who are joining us here in person and lots more online who haven't had the chance, the privilege even, to attend something we call BBC 101. <laughs> Normally, every quarter or so, we gather everybody who's new. We actually feed them lunch, and it's a great lunch. You're missing out if you're new. But uh, instead of being able to do that, we are going to take the first three Sundays of November and do a kind of BBC 101. We're going to start the uh, very first Sunday of November just talking about uh, the church and the values, the vision, the mission, and where we're at and kind of where we're headed. So that's going to be important. And then the second Sunday in November, we have our executive minister of the Canadian Baptist of Western Canada coming here, Rob Ogilvie. And some of you will know Rob, and he's going to come and spend some time with us, and we're looking forward to that. And then in the third Sunday of November, uh, we have my good friend, Dennis Shearman, and he is the regional representative for Western Canada with Canadian Baptist Ministries. And so we're going to start local and go global over the next uh, three Sundays in November. Uh, so I think it's going to be an exciting time. We'll get a sense of who we are, how we're connected, what makes us tick, and uh, hopefully that will help, especially those of you who might be new, but also as a refresher course for those that have been here for a very long time. So look forward to that. Tune in uh, starting in November. But today we are finishing with prayer. And my hope in this whole series is that we will nudge you and me toward praying more. I know you might not remember all the details of every sermon. I don't. <laughs> but I hope you get the overall impression that prayer is good. And the very best prayer that is the one that you pray. And so for us to pray continuously, to pray always, to make prayer something like our soul's breath. It's like breathing. It becomes so normative for us. And I hope that prayer is kind of our first recourse when something happens in our life and not the last one. Uh, don't be like me. I don't know if you are sometimes, where we try everything else and at the end we say, Lord, help. Let's start with Lord, help, and then see how everything else unfolds. So that's my hope. And we've been journeying with the Apostle Paul, and so by way of a kind of review I want to read you just some of the one-liners that Paul has for prayer. Listen to these amazing words that we've been reviewing together over this past month. Paul says things like, I thank my God every time I remember you. What a great prayer to pray for a friend today. Or how about this? I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. There's our trinity that uh, Matthew referred to right there. Paul weaves it in every chance he gets. But what a great prayer, that you may know God better. That's a great prayer. How about this? I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Anybody need a little bit of hope right now? What a great prayer to pray for our family and our friends. I could go on. Let me do one more here. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being 
so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You feel the strength in that? What a great prayer to pray. So Paul teaches us to give thanks for our friends, to pray that they may know God's comfort, that they may know God more, that they may know God's hope, that they may know God's power, that they may know God's love, that they may know God's stamina, that they may know God's patience, so that they may live full lives, full in the fullness of God. That's Paul's heart. I hope we've heard it. That's what he prays for, for his friends. He doesn't pray, actually, that they are simply removed from their circumstances. But he prays like Jesus prays, God, keep them in the world to which you've called them. And that's Paul's prayer in these times. So Paul models for us the life of prayer, how to weave prayer into every aspect of life. And he shows us what it means to pray continually. And he even gives us a language for prayer that we can use. But here's here's something very important I want to say. You don't have to sound like Paul to pray like Paul. Is that a relief? It's a relief for me because I read those verses and I think, wow, that is prayer like elevated to like a huge status. I'm not sure that I have those kind of words or that kind of eloquence to pray. But I want to remind you that you don't have to sound like Paul to pray like Paul. I learned this lesson fairly early on. My first sermon, my first full sermon that I had the opportunity to preach was in November 1989. I know you're thinking, he's not that old. I was three at the time. No, I wasn't. I wasn't three. But November 1989, I was uh, on the south side of the city of Edinburgh, Scotland, and uh, it was uh, during the time when we still had evening services. Anybody remember the evening service? Anybody remember going to church like three times a day on Sunday? (laughs) It, It interfered with my watching of Disney when I was a kid. I remember that. But this was an evening service, and evening services were great for young preachers because it gives us an opportunity to preach. Now we have to give people like Eric opportunity in the main service. And that's always dangerous. But I had this opportunity to preach, and so I prepared really hard all week long, uh, at least for three hours. (laughs) And I went over it again and again and again. And toward the end of the week, I decided to read a sermon on the same text, but the sermon was by the great Baptist preacher, Charles Spurgeon. Some of you might know his name. And I read that sermon, I thought, my goodness, all the stuff I've done is just garbage. Like it's, nobody's going to listen to this, but Spurgeon, this is amazing. The language, the, the eloquence, the, the power. And I thought to myself, if it was good enough for Spurgeon, it's good enough for me. And basically, I just cut and pasted a whole bunch of Spurgeon's uh, words into my sermon, and I went prepared that evening on the south side of the city of Edinburgh, Scotland. Preach my heart out using Spurgeon's words. The problem is, every evening service, especially if you're in Great Britain, you fight against two important things, roast beef and unbelief. And so people usually show up just a little bit tired, and apparently the whole congregation missed their afternoon nap because they took it in the middle of my sermon. And I was so deflated. I put my heart and soul into that message, and I was driving home with my mentor, um, who thankfully was very gracious to me, and he said, look, Scott, in order to preach like Spurgeon, you don't have to sound like Spurgeon. It's a good thing, because Spurgeon was born in 1834, and I wasn't. You get the message? Uh, Prayer, just like preaching. Uh, Preaching is truth through personality. 
That's what I end up learning. It's God's truth through our own personality, and we deliver that. Prayer is the same thing. A prayer is, is your heart through your own personal words offered up to God um, as a beautiful um, act of worship, no matter what words we use. So we don't have to sound like Paul to pray like Paul. So what do we learn then from Paul? Well, we learn a number of things that he teaches us about prayer and about how to elevate our prayer life. And here's three quick things that we learn from Paul. First of all, In prayer, Paul shifted his focus. He shifted his focus from his own problems to the will of God. That's important. If we want to elevate our prayer life, we need to have a shift in our focus. It's not that our problems are unimportant. It's not that our circumstances are irrelevant. Paul often mentioned his circumstances, his troubles, his trials. But when he came to prayer, he shifted his focus to the character, to the faithfulness to the will of God. That was his focus. Just like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Jesus in Gethsemane, he's facing the cross. And in the end, what does he pray? Not my will, but yours be done. That's not throwing your hands up in the air and saying, well, it is what it is. You know, just resign myself to face the cross. That's not what Jesus was saying at all. What he's saying is, I trust you, Father. I trust you. And in our circumstances, it's important to bring them to God. But in prayer, we begin to shift our focus and we say, I trust you, God. I trust you, Father. Because of our long history together and the long history with people over many generations, I trust you. So Paul helps us to shift our focus. And in that way, our prayer life is elevated. The second thing he does, and I've mentioned this so many times, but I've got to keep mentioning it. Paul always gives thanks. He always give thanks. I mean, just think about all that Paul went through. Even when he was chained to a sweaty Roman guard 24-7, imagine that, Paul is still giving thanks. Always give thanks. The simplest thing we can do to elevate our prayer life is to give thanks in all circumstances. So, yeah, bring your shopping list to God. Bring your list of complaints to God. And in the middle of it, remember to give thanks to God. That way we elevate our prayer life. And then the third thing, I think this is the hardest for me to really embrace, but I think it's really important, and Paul teaches us this in his prayers. He shows us that God is concerned about change in character more than a change in circumstances. God is more concerned about a change in character than he is about a change in our circumstances. Now, Paul did sometimes pray for circumstances to change. It is okay to do that. <laughs> Absolutely. If you're facing some trial, if you're facing something that is just feels overwhelming for you, bring it to God. Ask him, God, rescue me from this. That's totally acceptable. But just remember that when Paul prays for his friends, his specific prayer is that they would become more like Jesus. In whatever they're facing, that their character would be transformed into the image of Jesus. Whether it's in great suffering or times of great blessing, Paul's prayer is that we would become more and more like Jesus. There's a famous passage in Romans chapter 8 that we often like to quote. Romans 8 and verse 28. Does anybody know it off my hand? Well, it's shortened to the kind of this. 
God works all things together for good. And I think sometimes we misquote that verse. Here's what the verse actually says. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. What's the great good that Paul is talking about? It's not that everything is going to be okay. This isn't sort of a pat in the back and there, there, everything's going to be fine because sometimes things are not fine. Sometimes things are not good. Sometimes things don't work out. But Paul says God is working all things for the good, the ultimate good, which is to make you more like Jesus regardless of the circumstances that you face. That's the whole point. We are all made in the image of God. But that image has been marred through sin, through, through Adam's sin, human sin in general, through our own sin. But the great rescue operation is that God in Jesus Christ is reforming us into his own image. That's the amazing thing. That's where we find our hope. And Jesus went through suffering, by the way, and so we might expect to do the same. But in all things, this is the greatest good that we might become more like Jesus. So that's how we elevate our prayer life. According to Paul, we shift focus onto God's will. We always give thanks. And in all circumstances, we pray that we might become more and more like Jesus. Well, this brings us to our final prayer example, and this is the scripture reading now, Mr. Ian. And we're going to look at Colossians chapter 4, and I'm going to read verse 2. And people are thinking, that was the introduction to the sermon? No, don't worry. It's, it's not that much longer. And you haven't had any roast beef yet, so you've got a good ways to go. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Here's the end conclusion. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. This is Paul's last words to the Colossians as he writes from prison um, this time. Paul not only prays for his friends, but he asks his friends to pray for him. What a, what a beautiful relationship that is. I think we need to learn that in things like even international missions. Often when we go in international missions, we go with the idea that, hey, we've got the answers, we're here to fix your problem. Right? We go with that kind of Western savior complex when we parachute in. And one simple way to turn that around is to ask our friends in Bolivia and in Lebanon and in India, would you pray for me? Would you pray for us? Would you pray for Bonavista Baptist Church? Today, Patty Nacho, I know this because she let me know, Patty Nacho in Bolivia is praying for this congregation here. That's the beautiful synergy of, of being together in the gospel. And that's what Paul says, I'm not just here to pray for you. I'm not the superhero here to save you. Pray for me too. I need your prayers. And this is what Paul asked for. But listen carefully to what Paul asked them to pray for. This is what William Barclay notes. We must note carefully exactly what it is for which Paul asked. 
He asked their prayer not so much for himself as for his work. There were many things for which Paul might have asked them to pray. Released from prison, a successful outcome for his coming trial, a little rest and peace at the, la- at the end. But he asked them to pray only that there may be given to him strength and opportunity to do the work which God had sent him into the world to do. Paul's concern is the gospel. Paul's concern all along is the reputation of the gospel. He says, not even that you would get me released from prison, but that I would have opportunity to fulfill the work that God has called me to do. He wanted them to pray that his witness to the gospel might be strong. As we think about situations all around the world, and we think of the situation in Myanmar right now, and we think of the situation in Lebanon and India, and we, there's lots of places that we're connected to. And we can pray for those situations and circumstances and for peace to be restored, for order to be restored. But remember to pray that the church in the middle of those situations might have an opportunity to share the gospel. That there might be an opportunity to stand firm and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is praying for. Regardless of the circumstances, give me an opportunity to stand up and witness for Jesus. He was concerned for the reputation of the gospel, not even for his own reputation. Because he knew this, and this is really important, the church doesn't exist for the comfort of its members. The church doesn't exist for the comfort of those who are already here. That's what Paul points out in this passage. It's not a a social club with a, a scripture verse banner over the top. The church always exists for the benefit of outsiders. The church always exists for those who are not yet here. The church always exists for those who do not yet know and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our purpose is outward focus, and we find that in Paul's prayer. And so there's two things essential that Paul notes that are essential for a strong witness. Number one, that our actions in the world would reflect the gospel. That's his concern. That our actual actions, that we would be wise in the way that we behave in the world. That's part of the witness. But the second thing is that our words would reflect the gospel. That they would be full of grace and seasoned with salt. Now, I, I know that some of us have some salty jokes and salty Facebook posts. That's not the kind of salt that Paul is talking about. You know what I mean when I say salty. What he's talking about here is the way that salt preserves, salt heals. Salt actually um, reduces or suppresses bitterness in food. I learned this this week, that salt, the way it functions in food to make it taste better, is that it suppresses bitterness. What a great image for us. In our words in the world, are we stirring up bitterness or are we reducing bitterness? in our Facebook posts, in our words to our friends, in the way that we interact with the other drivers on the road? (laughs) Um, Are we stirring up bitterness or are we reducing it? Because Paul says that matters. Our actions and our words in the world matter because the world is watching. Do they really believe this gospel? Does it make a difference in their life? Are they able to live it out? What is their witness? That is Paul's heart here, that his prayer that he wants the church to pray for him, 
is that the witness of the gospel would be firm no matter the circumstances. And that would be my prayer for this church, even here today, that God may open the door for his message so that we might proclaim the mystery of the gospel to those who are not yet here. So that's part of our prayer as we go through. Well, I mentioned that it's Reformation Sunday, and so let me end with a quote from Martin Luther. Uh, Martin Luther said a number of things about prayer, but here's one. As is the business of tailors to make clothes and cobblers to make shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. I love that. And this is what he said. I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. I don't know if I'm going to spend three hours in prayer every day, but it's a challenge. But let's end with the quote from Paul. At least this. Let's devote ourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your servant, the Apostle Paul. Thank you that his witness was strong to the end, and because of that, we are here today. We are a testimony to the power of the gospel to transform the world. Help us to keep that in mind. That our goal isn't just to be comfortable and to be together, but our goal is, in fact, to serve the world in your name, through our words and through our actions. May we bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus. I pray in his great name.